chapter 6 as we honor God in the reading of his word. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work of labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could not swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for a confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, is the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Father, we love you. We bow before you this morning. You are wonderful. You're altogether lovely. We need to be delivered from ourselves. We need to be delivered from all that's going on in this world currently. And we need to see you in your beauty, in your holiness, in your perfection. God, I pray right now that you would just calm our hearts. That you would strengthen our souls. That you would encourage us this morning. We cling to you. We cling to your promises. We know that you change not. And so all of our hope is in you. As the text says, our souls are anchored in that hope. The hope of Jesus. Lord, as we come to this text to study this morning, I ask you, Father, fill me please with your spirit. I want to deliver your message. Lord, I just ask you, God, to work in us and through us to do your work in our lives. May we yield to you. May we listen to you. May we obey you. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name and amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I was, last week, we studied the scriptures and we received a warning in the text a warning that each one of us as believers must heed. And today he's going to give us an amazing encouragement to getting us back on track. Has anyone in here ever been spiritually sluggish? Do you ever feel like sometimes you're on a treadmill spiritually? You're exhort, 
exhorting a lot of effort, but you're going nowhere. Sometimes we feel like that in our walk with the Lord. And if we're not careful, we can start drifting away from the intimacy, the peace, the joy, the love, the fellowship that's in Christ Jesus. This doesn't happen instantaneously. Most often, it's a slow fade. It's an erosion over time that you don't even realize it. Perhaps you have been around someone as they have grown up, and then you didn't see them for maybe three or four years, and when you saw that one again, he or she had grown up exponentially. You think, my goodness, what in the world's happened? And the parents don't really even notice anything. They're just day by day going through, and they don't recognize it. Spiritually, if we're not careful, the cares of this world can erode on our soul. And we can drift away from our Savior. We can drift away from that intimacy with Him. And as pastors, we stand and we say, we know what to do, we're to confess and repent. But sometimes, doesn't that just sound like a formula that's, we don't know how to do it, right? I mean, that sounds good. I want to confess. I want to repent. But how, how do I actually get back on track? And I think that's what the writer is doing. After he's gave this dire warning about slipping away, falling away from your relationship with Christ, he comes back and he shows us how we can get back on track spiritually. Uh, in the news, I don't know what's going on, but there, there have been multiple uh, train derailments lately. One of my best friends I grew up with in school is a he uh, is he works for the railroad down in Huntington and he texted me pictures. His crew was the one in West Virginia that went off hit a boulder a bolt big boulder had fallen down on the track and hit it and it it crashed and derailed. There's a process of getting that car back on track or those cars I should say. It doesn't just happen. And when it comes to us getting back on track spiritually, it just doesn't happen. There are some things that we must do. And I want you to just sit back today if you can and just relax for a few moments. I'll work through this quickly and I'll try to get you out of here in a timely manner. But I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I started studying this, I started writing this down. I'm like, Lord, this is me. I need this. I need this. I need this. One right after another, right out of the text. And so I hope it will speak to you like it spoke to me. How do I get back on track when I feel like I'm spiritually drifting or sluggish? Well, first of all, you realize that God will not abandon you. God will not abandon you. Look at verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. The writer says this. He says, I want you to know... That God has better things for you than drifting away from Him and, and having a hindrance in your fellowship with Him. God wants you to know there are better things. If you find yourself in a sluggish position spiritually, you find yourself drifting spiritually, you need to know that God has better things for you. And that He will not 
He will not abandon you. In the day that we live in, in the day we live in, we are so quick and we to judge and make judgments and retaliate and do things, and that's not the way God is. Most coaches, if a kid messes up, the coach is angry at him when he messes up. When he does well, he's happy with him. And you've got this big, this big dichotomy here, this big contrast going on. The hatchet principle, where you, you lower the hatchet on them. And the treasure principle, you, you give languish praise on them. And that's the way we think. It always cracked me up. It dawned on me. In the years of coaching baseball, this is my last year, hallelujah. And uh, the kid will be out there pitching. And he's pitching. And whether the umpire's got a tighter strike zone or something, all the parents will be out there, just throw strikes. Well, he's trying to throw strikes. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Josh? You do one yelling, throw strikes? No. He <laughs> no, he's a catcher. The catcher's yelling at the pitcher, throw strikes. He's trying. And we, we put that on ourselves sometimes. We think, man, I messed up for God. God will never use me. I'm not really in a good state of fellowship with Him. I have a, I've been neglecting time with Him. I've been neglecting the Word of God. I'm not serving Him like I used to. God is angry with me. God is going to... Listen, God's not going to forsake you. He is not going to forsake you. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust. To forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward His name. God's not going to abandon you. He's not going to say like we would say, you messed up again, fooey on you. I'm not going to fool with you anymore. That's not God. That's the way we are. But as you will find out Wednesday night, Lord willing, if I'm able to... To teach Wednesday night, Isaiah 55, His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And thank God they're not. God will not abandon you. But you don't know what I do. Listen, God's just. It's not, God doesn't do justly. God is just. It's one of His characteristics. He is just. He is justice. God will not abandon you because He said He will not abandon you. And later in the text it says He cannot lie. So the first step getting back on track is realize God will not abandon you. Back in the day when we were in school and we messed up, they would paddle you and they would send a note home. Right? Anybody ever had to get a note sent home and hand it to your dad? You didn't. Why are you saying no, Mark? I'm going to preach online. No, I'm just kidding. But anyways, <clears throat> you worried about handing that note to your dad. See, our society, we've lost all sense of shame. It's always someone else's fault. And biblically speaking, God knows the truth of the matter. It is our fault. Yet, He will not abandon us. Some of you feel like you can't, you can't talk to God. 
because of something that might have happened in your life, some erosion that might have taken place. You feel like that you, you're not, you need to get some things right in your life before you talk to Him. Listen, you'll never get things right until you talk to Him. God will not abandon you. Number two, look what He says here in verse number 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the end, full assurance of hope until the end. Show the same diligence. Number two, return to the diligence you once had. Do you remember a time in your life when you maybe perhaps were just saved? Do you remember a time in your life when you were saved and you served the Lord and you loved to serve the Lord? You remember a time when you loved to go to church, you loved to be around church people, you loved to witness for Him, you loved to just talk to Him, you loved to sing His songs? Return to the diligence you once had. I uh, used to listen, I like different genres of music, and uh, some of the music I was listening to, I was showing my son, exposing him until... When I was showing him, now this is the way good music used to be. Until I re reheard the lyrics through a father's ears. I'm like, I disregard that song. That's not a good song. That's not a good song. Anybody remember that about the songs we grew up? We're like, hey, yeah, 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 you know, whoa. And what a difference my attitude makes when I listen to the right kind of music. What a difference it makes in my life when I watch the right kind of shows. What a difference it makes when I'm around the right kind of people. I try to distance myself from negative people. Because I have in my flesh the propensity to be negative. Return to the diligence you once had. It takes effort to get up and come to church on Sunday morning, especially on time change. I remember I wasn't here too long uh, and we had a special Bible conference, and I didn't check it out, and we had it, and it fell on Time Change Sunday. And uh, the, the gentleman was here was to how we got our English Bible, and he had all these English Bibles up here, Harold Rawlings, and he had them stretched out, and he was going through this, and I learned a lesson. It doesn't matter what electronics you have. It doesn't matter. Time change, whether you're going forward or going backward, those are the two Sundays when everything is messed up. Everything. But you know, it takes effort to read your Bible. It takes effort to praise the Lord. But you know what? If you'll return to your diligence that you once had when you couldn't wait to tell people, the burden that was lifted when you received Christ as your personal Savior, if you could return to that diligence... It will help get you back on track. Number three, reject spiritual laziness. Look at verse 12. That you do not become sluggish, but, be in, imit, Im, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Reject spiritual laziness. Eugene didn't know it, but he was given a prophetic illustration when he was talking about things he was going to get done and being lazy. And we all know about those lazy days. And you got to have those every once in a while. But when it comes to spirituality, a lot of people today are very lazy. 
They're lazy. I don't have time to read my Bible this morning. I don't have time to spend time in prayer with the Lord. I don't take time to listen to the Lord. Hurry up with the worship service already. Let's get out of here. Let the preacher preach so we can go ahead and get this over with. I have a friend who told me that he was convicted. I said, well, what are you convicted about? He said, well, I've been saying the wrong thing. I said, well, what would you say? Here, I thought it was something bad. He said, I found myself saying, we have two church services. I found myself saying, I want to go to the early church so I can get that out of the way and get it over with for the day. Is that how we have relegated our relationship with the Lord? I just want to get it over with. I want to go to Sunday morning service. I just want to get it behind me. I'll give my tithe. I'll be okay. And you can be sliding ever so subtly. Reject spiritual laziness. When's the last time you decided, hey, I'm going to come on a Wednesday night and I'm going to go over and I'm going to work with those kids. I'm going to try to do something for those kids in Awana. I'm just going to try to share something with them. Or have we become spiritually lazy? We no longer serve the Lord. And, you know, and I'm not here to sit up here and try to make you feel guilty about not serving the Lord. If you're feeling guilty, that's probably conviction. That's the Lord. Whether you serve or not, I just feel like the church is going to go forward. The church is not hinging upon you and your faithfulness. It's hinging upon the Lord and His faithfulness. But if you want to go forward in your relationship with the Lord, you better start serving Him. Well, there are no opportunities to serve Him. That's not so. There are plenty of opportunities to serve Him. But you, if you want to get back on track spiritually, you've got to reject spiritual laziness. Number four, replicate those who were faithful and patient. Faithful and patient. We are learning... I am learning, our uh, Bible study group on Saturday mornings, we are learning together that busyness is not the same as godliness. Godliness is godliness. And it seems like the church wants to put more on people to make you busier so that you seem spiritual. That doesn't work. What we need to do is we need to replicate those who were faithful and those who were patient. Why? Because faithfulness and patience work together and produce endurance. For example, if you are going to run, and you're going to run for any distance, you will have to be faithful to training, and you will have to be patient because it's, you can't run one day. We have a friend, a mutual friend in Chesapeake. We all used to run together. And Dave hadn't ran in years, and Dave decided he was going to run a marathon two weeks or three weeks ahead of the marathon. He ran it, but he couldn't walk for a week afterwards, lost every toenail, and he said that was the worst thing he ever did in his life. Listen, there are a lot of spiritual experiences like that where people don't temper faithfulness with patience that equals endurance. Yes, you're faithful today. And yes, you need to be faithful tomorrow. And yes, you need to be faithful the rest of the week. As, an, as a matter of fact, he gives us an example. 
Abraham. Now you just think about this. Abraham, guess what? You're going to have a son. They had to wait until he was 100 years old to have a son. Those of you in here over 80, there's hope for you. But then, but then, God says, listen, He made him a promise all the way back when He called him. He said, listen, you're going to be the father of many. So He has this son, and then God says, I want you to take your son and offer him up as a sacrifice. Could you imagine Abraham walking up the hill with his son, the mountain? He had the knife. He had the wood for the fire. had the fire. I, where, where's, the, where's the sacrifice? Abraham puts his hand on his son, and I'm sure he's probably stroking his head and saying, Son, God will provide. Every step of that hill. How in the world could God promise him he's going to be the father of many and then take his son away from him? You know the story. He puts him there. He draws the knife back and the angel of the Lord stops him. Does Do your son no harm. There's the ram caught over in a thicket. The promise was then realized. But Abraham had to faithfully be patient until the fulfillment of the promise. And you and I have to be faithfully patient and follow examples of Abraham, examples in the church that we're in. (coughs) Paul Arthur was a great, great man of God, one whom we could pattern and follow the pattern. Most patient man I knew. Faithful. Carolyn, am I telling the truth? I'm telling the truth, amen. Amen. Copy, replicate people like that. Our our world is messed up. We got Dennis Rodman and people like that acting or imitating kooks like that. When I probably shouldn't say that's going out over the interweb, and who cares? Uh, The point, the fact of the matter is this: replicate a winner. Replicate a winner. And the winner is someone who's faithful and patient. I would say again, remember the faithfulness of God. I love this. He's talking about Abraham and God made a promise to Abraham. And because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. He said, I swear by me. You all might say, I swear to God. He says, I swear by me. God said that. Because there's no one greater he could swear by. He's faithful. Verse 17, thus, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel. That word immutability, I love it because we don't walk around saying, He's immutable. But what it means, it means that God does not change. Now, it's not a question of can. I'm not going to, this is immature when people say, well, can God create a tree so big He can't lift it? Who even dreams of that stuff? Sit around thinking, hmm, you know. The fact of the matter is, what he is showing us is that God is faithful. God's faithful. He is faithful. 
Verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Why? Because He has declared it so. We might have strong consolation, comfort, encouragement, who have fled for refuge to lay a hold of the hope that is set before us. Those that have run to God, we have a hope. We have a hope that He is faithful and that He will not move from His position. He will not change because He is God. Remember, He's faithful. There was a gentleman talking about prayer one time. One preacher said, I think it was Clarence Sexton, he said this. He said, uh, God is not late. You just got there early. And I like that. God's faithful. God is faithful. Whether you believe He is or not is immaterial. Because He is faithful. And if you just change your mind looking at all of your woes and looking to Him and His faithfulness, you will see that God has never failed you yet. You say, well, I've had all these bad things happen to me. Well, listen to me. He told us we're going to have bad things. He told us, Job said, Man that is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. All, yea, all who shall live godly will suffer persecution. James said, Trials worketh patience. It's not going to be easy. That's called heaven. And you got to die to go there. And if you're healthy, it means you're dying at the slowest possible rate. But you're still dying. Every one of us are dying. And God is faithful. Death is not all there is. They don't just stick you in a coffin, put you in the ground, and that's it. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's faithful. Remember, He's faithful. Verse 19, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Number six, rely on the promises of God. Rely. It's the anchor of your soul. Your hope is tied to the promises of God, and your hope is the anchor of your soul. That's what keeps you anchored, is that you have hope. That this is not all there is. That there is a heaven and that there, God will take me there when I die. And I will be with Him throughout eternity. And that's when I'll experience eternal bliss. That's when I'll experience no more suffering, no more shame. It's not the abundance of things we have on this earth and the, the comfort that we have here now. That's, that's immaterial. That's all passing. It's the promises of God that there is an eternal rest. And that's what he's saying. And then lastly, I would say rely on our great high priest. Man, I, can't, I get all excited when I say this. Verse 19, I've got to read it again. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where 
the forerunner has entered for us. Jesus went behind the veil for us. When He died on the cross, the veil was torn in two. He did it for us. He is our great high priest. There's no one like Jesus. And the thought that we would ever even think that we could have a better things without an intimate, abiding, thriving relationship with Christ is absurd. If He's the one that provides it all, how can we distance ourselves from Him and expect that we're going to have the blessings of God? We can't. We have to rely on the high priest. If you want to get back on track, the starting place is realizing God has not abandoned you. Return to your diligence you once had. Get back on track. Get back to serving Him. Make Him the Lord of your life. Reject the spiritual laziness. The days when it's cold outside and we've had 70 degree weather and we're waiting because we know this weather's coming before spring can get here. It has to get it out of its system, right? Reject that spiritual laziness. Oh, it's better. Oh, it's so much warmer in the house. I don't have to get out. It's dreary. and ugh. No, reject that. Get up and go for Jesus. Right? Sing for Jesus. Preacher, I can't sing. I can't sing a lick. I'm up here watching Eugene, and I still start the song before he does. And he don't look at me because he'll laugh. But I could care less because I sit on the front row so I don't have to look at you so I can look up there so I can sing to Jesus. So you can sit back there and laugh at me all you want because I don't even know it and I don't care. But I'm going to reject spiritual laziness. I'm going to reject spiritual laziness. You can do what you want to do because you do what you want to do. There was a picture of a parade a military parade. And in the picture, there were people all seated in their chairs watching the military go by. And there was one man standing. It was an elderly man who had lost his legs and he had lifted himself up in his wheelchair to honor the, the soldiers as they went by. One. You can do what you want to do. You can do what you want to do. And I would challenge you this. If you've gotten a little bit off track, there are better things. God has better things for you. You think you can be happy with the things of this world. Tell Hollywood that. They're miserable. They're hooked on drugs. They've been married ten times. Their life's in shambles. Many people think they're successful and then they take their own lives. That, guys, this stuff is passing away. This stuff we have is gone. It's going to burn. Only one life will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you've gotten off track, there are some better things. Let me ask you a question. What price could you put on peace? 
What price could you put on contentment? Paul said, I know whether I know how to live with a bunch and I know how to live with nothing. What price can you put on hope? What price can you put on a relationship with your heavenly Father through Jesus Christ? There's no price. And I'm telling you, being in an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ daily, moment by moment, that, my friends, is a thriving, abiding relationship. Those are the better things. Find someone who's faithful, who's patient, who endures and replicate them. Remember the faithfulness of God. Remember those promises and rely on them and rely on Jesus Christ every moment of every day. Spend time with Him. Worship Him. Praise Him. He's worthy. This world is becoming more and more out of place for us. Every day we live in this world, it's becoming darker and darker and darker, and we are the only thing lighting this world. And when we're taken out of here, it will be complete darkness. So let's let our light shine for Jesus. It shines brighter in a dark world. Listen, if you've started to become a little sluggish, right now, right now, Confess, repent, and start doing these things to get back on track. And God in His Spirit and His power will encourage us and bring us right along. Would you bow with me for prayer, please? As we prepare for